What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time Podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. Tom Westerholm joined tonight by Nicole Yang, and we're going to get into a bunch of different topics. We're going to do kind of a grab bag episode. So, Nicole, Danny Ainge was sitting next to Brad Stevens along the sideline uh, at Las Vegas Summer League. What do you make of Danny Ainge just showing up in Celtics gear and hanging out? The old president of basketball operations hanging out with the new president of basketball operations. I think it was Danny and Brad and then Ime Odoka. Like it was the whole crew. It's totally normal to see your president of basketball operations sitting with other front office executives, sitting with the coach. Like I feel like that's a very common scene in Summer League. But in Danny's press conference and in his remarks after this whole shakeup happened, I feel like the message they tried to convey was that he was going to step back. Like it didn't seem like he was going to have a very prominent role, but I don't know. That makes me think that Danny is still involved a little bit to some degree they know that they're gonna be like on tv they certainly do (laughs) so it could always change but i think he like hinted that that was sort of it for him but maybe it's because it's the first summer and he still has that itch especially after like a covid year where there was so limited in-person basketball opportunities so maybe it's just really this one transition period for them when i saw the little clip of it from left to right it was ime udoka brad stevens brady stevens And then Danny Ainge. Like, if it wasn't for the fact that Danny was wearing a Celtics polo, I would have just thought like, okay, Danny's, you know, around the NBA. He's been around the NBA forever. The NBA, we talked about this on the last episode. The NBA congregates in Las Vegas for Summer League. And so the fact that it was Eme, Brad, Brady, Danny, if it wasn't for Danny's polo, I just would have been like, oh, like Danny, you know, was in Summer League, saw Brad, stopped by, sat down. And, you know, like they were just chatting a little bit. But like, he was wearing a Celtics polo. Like he looked like a hundred percent like a guy who is still involved with the team and it very much did give off an impression of somebody who was evaluating as opposed to somebody who was just you know chatting like he looked like a member of the staff which was odd for sure like maybe we're reading too much into it and like Danny of obviously course we are <laughs> Danny obviously still has a lot of connections to people on the team like he drafted Aaron Neesmith he drafted Peyton Pritchard like Danny also has ties to Oregon so maybe that's yeah, true close with Ime and the rest of the coaching staff. So Actually, Ime is just bringing in Danny as uh, another assistant coach because he just loves that Portland connection so much. I'm sure Brad values Danny's opinion. Totally. But his first couple moves as GM, as you called it before, like have basically just been control Z. So it's not like it's interfering. Like it's not like this is necessarily a bad thing. I'm like, I'm not trying to paint it as like, oh, why is Danny Ainge still around? Sure. But I just think it's funny. And like, we like to point out when Brad lies. Not not like malicious lies, but like he just sometimes flat out lies to the media. And I feel like this was another example of him being like, yeah, no, it's a totally new regime. Like <laughs> Danny's going to have no role. You know what I mean? Like, and no, Danny's yeah. right here. Like, so <laughs> it just was notable in that regard. Like, I, I don't think it's bad if Danny is still around. Clearly it hasn't like hampered Brad in any way, but I just think it's funny. It's very funny. And that's, and that's such a good point about <laughs> Brad just fibbing to us all the time. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I could 100% see this being another instance like that. I think there's probably something to what you said about it just being Brad. I mean, it's Brad's first summer. Brad was involved with a lot of these decisions, which again, he lied to us about, but he was involved in a lot of these decisions previously. And I'm sure, but there's just got to be a lot of know-how about being a general man or a president of basketball operations that Brad probably just doesn't have. 
right now. And I'm sure he's leaning heavily on Danny for a lot of that, you know, and anybody would have questions. Anybody would want to lean on somebody who did the job for 20 years prior. So like, again, it makes sense that Danny would be involved in this stuff. It's just the optics of him, you know, plopping down next to Brad and uh, taking in the game are just like you said, they're funny. It's just kind of like, huh. If anything, we should have known Brad was going to be a good GM based on how often he lies to us. Because again, it's not malicious, but he does mislead us a lot intentionally. And he's able to do it in a way where like, it's not a big deal. But he like knows when to either like tell a white lie or maybe like withhold information or just not give us the entire truth. Like he is very thoughtful in how he like wields his information. And I feel like that is a sign that he would be a good GM because Brad is super respectful of the media. He always like addresses people by name and is very polite and like welcoming and things like that. But he's like very deliberate when he tells us things and when he doesn't tell us things or with what he says. So I think honestly, that was something I overlooked in assessing like how he might be as a GM. He's thoughtful, right? Like he puts thought into every single thing, including how he interacts with the media. And he has sort of determined, okay, the best way for me to interact with the media is to be unfailingly polite, even when stupid, terrible questions are being thrown at him. I remember that one press conference a few years ago where a drunk fan snuck in and just like yelled like, what do you think of Kelly the clinic Olenek? Kelly was 0 for 8 that game and Brad just like answered the question, you know, and that he has decided that the best way to handle the media is to be unfailingly polite, but not to be afraid to just straight up lie to us at times when it really helps. And sure, that that's one of the reasons he was good at his job is he knew exactly how to handle situations like that. So yeah. Here again, I think it's probably an instance of him saying, or like, you know, the organization saying like, Danny's not going to be involved here and all this stuff, but like, maybe he is a little bit more than we initially thought. But at the same time, it makes sense to lie to us about that because it puts more onus on Brad. It puts more credit for the good moves that I'm sure he's making. If Brad was making all these moves and everybody knew that Danny was involved or that even if Danny was only involved in like an advisory, you know, even if these are, this is all Brad's vision, if people were like, oh, Danny Ainge is still involved, everybody would be like, oh, these are Danny Ainge's moves done through Brad Stevens. But as it is, I do think these are Brad's moves, but it seems like Danny is probably still involved in some capacity that isn't necessarily decision-making. It was smart for the organization to try and draw as definitive of a line as possible because the last thing they want is for Brad to be viewed as like a puppet so again everything makes sense and how they like market it or like advertise the decision it's just funny that like once again we have Brad Stevens in a line (laughs) it's very funny that the organization did so much to make sure to distance Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge and then the first opportunity that those two can be plopped down next to each other at summer league with the cameras on them there they are with Ime Udoka and Brady so very funny Number two on our grab bag here, Ime Udoka talked to reporters in Las Vegas, covered several different topics. And I think maybe one of the more interesting ones that we didn't talk about as much was what he had to say about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and just how he plans to use them next year. One of the big things he talked about was how he wants them both to have the ball in their hands more and be distributors which seems noteworthy because both of them have shown, you know, proclivity toward that at various times in their career, especially Jalen last year took real strides, 
especially early in the year with the ball in his hands. And I have to think that given a more healthy season, like roster wide, not just Jalen, given a more healthy season, he would have gotten more of a chance to show that that was for real. Like he, he showed real promise as a passer. Tatum also, same thing. You know, he was playing so much pick and roll. He was almost de facto more of a distributor. Any kind of thoughts on that, on, on those two passing and, and kind of handling the ball a little bit more and what that might mean for the team? I mean, I think they're going to need it. And I think Ime kind of hinted at this, like Jalen and Jason are obviously the best like shot creators on the roster. And then when you get down the list, not everybody else is as good at creating their own shot. So they're going to need some help and some facilitation. So I think it's a natural role and I think it makes sense. And as you mentioned, like they both have been trending in that direction. Like I'm pretty sure Tatum had a career high in assists last year and his passing just has improved tremendously since his rookie year. So I think it makes sense for their development. And then also if this is going to be a bridge year, like now is the time to hone those skills. Exactly. If this is a year where the Celtics are just kind of like, eh, we'll hope for the best as we wait for Brad Beal, then like, yeah, it makes total sense to develop things for everyone. And you don't always think of Jalen and Jason in that way because they're already all-stars. They're already all-NBA candidates. So you don't necessarily think like, hmm, what else can they add to their game? But yeah, of course, if this is going to be sort of a gap year, then it makes perfect sense to just give them a chance to develop something. To your other point about like the shot creation, I think like Jalen and Jason can create shots for themselves. And I think a lot of times guys who can do that, the next step to being like super elite is when you use that shot creation that you've that, that you can do for yourself and then also do it for others because if you create shots for yourself naturally defenses are going to suck into you and you, you're just going to open up other things for others so like the shot creation really can take multiple you know multiple different looks here from them which is cool in terms of opposing defenses there are two very obvious people that you would need to lock down. So it's important that they can rely on others. And Jalen and Jason, I'm sure, will still obviously be able to score. But like, there are two pretty clear targets that defenses will need to handle and the rest of the offense, we'll see. I like to imagine a coach like writing on a whiteboard, like like the entire Celtics roster, and then just like two big dark circles around Jalen and Jason, and then a bunch of like, don't care, don't care, don't care, and the rest of the way down. The other interesting thing about the idea of them both distributing more, when you think kind of about what this could mean for like the starting lineup and for lineups that really work, it made me wonder if the Celtics should, we talked a little bit about starting lineups yesterday. It made me wonder a little bit if the Celtics should consider Peyton Pritchard in the starting lineup because of the spacing that he offers as a catch and shoot player. And obviously he's working on other stuff too. He's working on, you know, managing the game a little bit and the Celtics could certainly use him with bench lineups as well. It's not like he would just be limited to lineups with Jalen and Jason, but I do wonder if, you know, if you have Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum all in the starting lineup and all those guys are, you know, creating and distributing and all that stuff. And I mean, honestly, Al Horford distributes too. It might make a lot of sense to have a guy whose main role in that lineup is to space the floor be a three-point shooter. Dennis Schroeder is a career 33% shooter from three-point range. Like he's not going to really space the floor for you. And he does a lot of other really good things. And, you know, Josh Richardson, same thing. He's just probably not going to space the floor much for you. I do wonder if there's some really good reason. We know Marcus Mark can defend twos, threes, whatever. You can just put Peyton Pritchard on the point guard and have him space the floor on the other end, take the ball out of his hands a little bit more, but you got some spacing. You got a little bit extra of room for Jalen and Jason to slash. I think there's, uh, I think there could be some utility with that. Yeah. And then you can just hide Peyton in the same way that you would hide Kemba. Totally. And, like- and you wouldn't have to hide him as bad because like Peyton does try. I mean, he works really hard and not that Kemba didn't, but like, I think Peyton's a little bit better of a defender. I mean, Ime did say that he acknowledged that Josh Richardson 
Jackson hasn't had the best numbers from three, but he said that that's something that they're working on and maybe they hope to develop that part of his game. Who knows? We'll see how that works out. But he recognized that the lack of shooting is a thing with the current roster. So I like the idea, actually, of putting Peyton in. Good story from Jay King on The Athletic that had a couple of interesting stats. Schroeder last season, 35% of his shots were within four feet. Uh, For Marcus Smart and Richardson, both were 21% of their shots were within four feet. Schroeder also had 13.3 drives per game, even with LeBron and everybody on his team, which is more than any Celtic last season. (laughs) So the Celtics really are adding somebody who does something different that they don't have. I just think that putting that guy in the second unit and playing him big second unit minutes might give them a different look when we already know that Jalen and Jason are going to be handling more and passing more. So we'll see what happens. I think that'll be an interesting look. I really like Schroeder with the second unit, and I wouldn't be surprised if he still ranks like fourth in minutes, even though he's coming off the bench. He just slides into the role that Marcus Smart always used to have now that Marcus Smart is a starter. Literally. Couple other grab bag notes here. Jalen Brown worked out a little bit with the team. There was some nice video of him getting a light workout in. His wrist looked really good. Not a surprise at all. This was not supposed to be something that lingered too long. I know, believe it was Brad. It might have been Yudoka, but I think it was Brad was saying how Jalen should be completely fine by the time camp rolls around. And I think, I think he actually said both he and Rob Williams should be fine before training camp even begins so that they will be ready for training camp. Like it's not a Tristan Thompson situation where he's going to be using training camp to work himself into shape. I think both of those guys should be good to go by camp to then prepare for the season. So good to see that. Do you have any thoughts on Jalen being healthy? No. I'm just that it's good. Obviously positive. They will need health just as much as they did any other year, but especially this season. If something goes awry, then they're really strained. It really is interesting. I mean, like, obviously, the Celtics just need a little bit of injury luck after last year because last year was so catastrophic and cataclysmic from, like, an injury perspective. And then this year, if the Celtics have bad injury luck, it will doom their season. If they have bad injury luck this season, we genuinely will be talking about them being in position to draft Paolo Banchero or one of these, like, you know, pretty interesting guys at the top of next year's draft class. Like, they will be that bad if they have bad injury luck this year, I think, because it's just they are on a race wire, I feel like, which I mean, it might not be the worst thing in the world. Like if you ended up with a lot, if this is a gap year anyway, and you end up with like a lottery pick due to bad luck, not because you were bad, but due to bad luck and you've got that extra asset in your pocket, it's like, I'm not going to say it's the worst thing in the world. I mean, they've been on a really bad streak in terms of injury luck, like last year and then 2020 in the bubble. Like if Gordon Hayward doesn't get injured, maybe they're in the finals and pushing the Lakers. I guess 2018, 2019, it was still Hayward. And then obviously the year before it was also Hayward. So (laughs) a lot of it had to do with Gordon Hayward specifically, but. (laughs) I screwed them so bad. (laughs) They really do. It would be nice if they could just have like a relatively healthy season. It also would be nice just from an evaluation perspective. Like, I'm so tired of being like, well, you know, it's hard to tell with the 2018-19 team because Gordon Hayward was, was working himself back into shape. And, oh, it's hard to tell with the 2019-20 team because obviously, you know, Kemba Walker was hurt here and there. Oh, it's so hard to tell with the 2020-21 team because literally everybody was just losing body parts like in the middle of the court. And it's like, can we, like, it would be nice to have just like, to just kind of know what the Celtics are for once. Like, that would be a, a good thing. Well, and so much of our conversation last year too is about how like it's unfair to really evaluate 
evaluate these guys harshly because in terms of the young guys, because they're playing outside their role. So it's like, yeah, yeah, of course, this isn't going to go that great because like, that's not what they're going to be asked to do. Like this is a step above. So it would be nice to see people play in the actual like intended roles and see how they fare there. Exactly. And all, and none of this has anything to do with Jalen because honestly, Jalen's role is going to be the same as last year. Cause like, he's going to be one of the team's two superstars again. Like that's his role is pretty simple, honestly. No, totally. It's more of like the trickle down effect. Exactly. All right. So this brings us to our last segment of the grab bag. We're going to be deciding who the Celtics should cut. Sort of a ruthless exercise here, but the Celtics currently have 16 guys. And as we all know, they can only carry 15 beyond training camp. This segment is brought to you by our good friends at Shades on Beer Company. As you all know, Shades on is the maker of the Geno Time Stout. A delicious beer that we've all had the opportunity to try. But Shades On also makes a ton of other great beers. You can order them on their website. But obviously, if you live in the Boston area, please try and check out your local liquor stores. And if you see Shades On, please send us a picture. We'd love to see it. And then if you live in Rhode Island, you can also go to their tasting room and beer garden. All right, Tom, I will give you the first pick today. Oh, wow. Who are you chopping? So it's complicated for some of the reasons that we talked about yesterday, right? Like there's too much depth at guard and I have a hard time seeing like all of the guards that are currently on the roster being on the roster still when training camp comes. That said, Jabari Parker is like, the most obvious answer to me. And it's, you know, purely a financial thing. Like they could just cut him and his, his money is non-guaranteed. Like it's no big deal. You know, he can find a, a spot elsewhere. It's just, it's like, it's it's hard to see this happening because I really do think they need just like a bigger body, a bigger wing. And Jabari is not a good defender, but like at least he has a small amount of size. Like he's tall enough and heavy enough to like kind of be there. Like it's, it's funny. I, mean, I, I do wonder if they're going to miss Shemi Ojale a little bit this year. I, I actually don't think they're going to cut anyone. I think they are going to find, this is going to hurt Grenham when he listens to this, if he listens to this. I think they are going to find a trade partner for Chris Dunn. Some second round pick or, you know, some protected something, something, maybe a protected second round pick. I don't know. But I, I think that's what they'll end up doing. They've already been talking about, you know, trying to find a place for him. And I think that they have enough veteran guards now, right? They have Marcus Smart. They have Dennis Schroeder. I'll go with, instead of cutting somebody, they find a destination for Chris Dunn. But I could see the argument for Jabari Parker, you know, Carson Edwards, uh, several of these guys. And that's why when we were talking about the Schroeder signing, I still really like that signing, especially just given how everything else has panned out. But I think in an ideal world, the free agent acquisition the Celtics were looking for was a veteran wing that can offer some shooting and more defense. Like now they're loaded at guard, as we've all mentioned, and that's not a bad thing either, but they're just very, I feel like maybe the wing sometimes gets overlooked because they have Jalen and Jason and all these promising options there like Aaron Neesmith could really be a productive two-way wing in the future Um, Romeo Langford like who knows they're just so unknown that that's why I think it would have been useful to bring in a veteran wing but like I just don't know how much Jabari has left yeah 100% I mean how much did he have left last year and the year before that like no 100% so like I get the problem that they have but like if Jabari Parker is who we're talking about here like if it's Shemi Ojale, I'd say no brainer just keep Shemi like it makes sense as whatever people think about Shemi like I think that would make sense but it's hard to make a case for Jabari Parker 
So let me make the case for you. If you cut Jabari Parker, you might have Grant Williams guarding LeBron James at some point this year. <laughs> yeah. But if you don't cut Jabari Parker, you might have Jabari Parker guarding LeBron James at some point this year. So realistically, I don't know what the answer is. And maybe like a real off season for Jabari, which seems weird to say about like a 28 year old man. Grown man. <laughs> maybe a real off season with the Celtics playbook could help him out defensively. Cause even though he has size, he still had a, a lot of missteps on that end of the floor. So it doesn't matter if you have size, if you aren't in the right position. Right. It is the 15th spot, so it doesn't seem like a big deal, but it is an interesting dilemma because I don't think there's a clear-cut answer. I feel like the 15th spot is often like a really interesting debate. I mean, (laughs) you think back to like the RJ Hunter versus James Young debate, like back in like whatever, like 2015 or 16 or whatever. And then last year, obviously, there was Max Struess versus... Well, sort of Max Drews. I, I mean, there was a kind of a combination of guys, but Max Drews versus Javante Green. That was interesting too. And again, like Javante Green was traded at the deadline. We can, we can make the case that they should never have traded him and they should have brought him back this offseason and that their offseason is ruined without him. But, you know, they, they really did. I mean, they had to make a decision between Max Drews and Javante Green. And that was, that was an interesting one as well. And I guess Javante Green is a good example of how the 15th spot does matter because he and yeah. Tate ended up becoming literal best friends. They didn't have a relationship previously. Like they both have said that, like we just connected. So it could actually make a difference. But I mean, I still think they're going to just cut Jabari because he's the only non-guaranteed contract. Like it just kind of makes sense. And he sort of was a random signing last year. We'll see what happens. I mean, maybe the Celtics aren't done yet. Like I don't really know who else is available, but there could be other moves where they end up bringing in somebody else and then trading two people. Like who knows? I think Carson is the other guy who's like Mm. in contention for it. You know, Carson, like not exactly lighting the league on fire in summer league so far. He's had, he's putting up some buckets and he's definitely scoring a little bit, but not very efficiently, which they would really like to see him score efficiently. I think if you were uh, thinking about keeping him around. So we will see what happens. Thank you everybody for listening. We really appreciate it. Thank you to anybody who's left us a rating or a review. And we will talk to you all again later this week.